Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Mike on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Before we start, I want to draw your attention to the two ways you can support the podcast financially. If you would like to make a one-off donation, I've set up a Just Giving page where you can help the show continue on into the future by donating as much or as little as you like. Alternatively, there are six different levels of subscription, starting from just £5 a month, over at patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium. There you will find two new podcast series, a monthly bulletin, group Zoom meetings, articles and mini-episodes attached to this series. The details are in the show notes below, and I would greatly appreciate any help you can manage. Today, I conduct a conversation with a Grammy Award-winning conductor who started out as a clarinetist, but after winning the Besançon competition in 1982, he's had a long and successful conducting career, holding positions in South Korea, Iceland, the UK, the US and his native Finland. It's a great pleasure to welcome Osmo Vanska. Osmo, how lovely to talk to you today. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. Um, I wonder, because you've had such a long and rich career, whether we can go right back to the beginning and find out when music first came into your life and how it first came into your life. Um, My dad was a fiddle player, like dance music and and so on and so on. And he he thought that it's important for, for... for the kids to, to start to play some instruments. So I am the youngest of, of three boys. Mm-hmm. My dad used to say that I don't have children, only boys. <laughs> and so, so I got the, the little violin when I was nine years old. My older brother got trumpet and then the oldest one got violin. Mm-hmm. And I, I played one one year and I, I didn't like the violin. Of course, I didn't want to practice anything and it sounded awful. So one year later, <coughs> I, I got a clarinet. There was a, there was a church starting a new wind band and, and uh, someone gave me the clarinet and I knew immediately that, that this is the instrument I would love to play and, and had a dream would be great to be good enough to play uh, as a professional clarinet player in, in the orchestra. Mm. Well, you did. I mean, um, you, you like me, were a professional player before you went to conducting. And I think if my maths are correct, you became a professional uh, player with the Turku Philharmonic when you were 18 or something like that, which is very young. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I, mm. it was one of my, maybe the second audition or third audition, and I, <clears throat> I was surprised myself when, when they, they gave me a job there. But it was... It was at that time, it was the biggest uh, orchestra outside of Helsinki area. So that was a great school for me to, 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 to start to learn about those things. Before you got your job at Turku, was there any thoughts of conducting at all? Or were you just obsessed with the clarinet? I already said about uh, my dream to be a professional clarinet player. But I think that um, very... Um, at almost at the same time, maybe a year later, uh, when I got my clarinet, my parents bought the stereo system home, you know, the long mm. LP recordings and so on. And, and I think we had like three LPs at that time. One of them was a very young Leonard Bernstein conducting Brahms' second. One of the first recordings uh, 
uh, with the New York Philharmonic at, uh, at the new Lincoln Center, a very efficient hall at that time. And it was, it was like, a, like, like I, I, I don't know how to describe that. That was a big, big thing. I thought that might be great to be the clarinet, but even greater if I can once be in front of the orchestra and conduct it. And, and I don't know how many hundreds of times I listened to, to the Brahms second, and I still remember every tempo, every character of that recording. And then I thought that that is my, my, my second dream <laughs> about the musical <laughs> life. And there actually, maybe I wanted to be a truck driver when I was nine years old or eight years old, but I have had only those three dreams. And, and so I am lucky one because all of, all of them, not the truck driver, but uh, <laughs> second and third have, have happened. And so it means that whenever I played the clarinet in the wind band or the youth orchestra or wherever more than one player was there, I, I always thought about um, the conductor who was conducting. Can he, at that time, it was only he, no female conductor, sorry. Yeah. Uh, could they hear what goes wrong? Can they fix it? And, and, and uh, so, so your question was simple and my answer is complicated or long at least. <laughs> uh, but every time I play, I thought about conducting. Mm. And so it has always been there. So at some point, I mean, you moved from Turku to the Helsinki field five years later. At some point, obviously, the, the desire to conduct has taken over. And you go and study with possibly, well, one of the two most famous teachers of the 20th century, really. There's either Musin in, in Leningrad and St. Petersburg, or there's Jorma Panela in Helsinki. What was, I mean, I had a two-week course with Yorma, and other conductors who've come on the podcast have also been taught by Yorma, like Natalie Stutzman and uh, Barbara Hannigan. I wonder what you could tell us what studying with Yorma was like, and what he taught you, how he teaches. So, uh, my connection with Yorma Panula uh, started at the same time when I started with the Helsinki Philharmonic. I went back to to my old school as a clarinet player. So, and, and at this time to study conducting. Um, actually it was, they accepted four students at the same um, class. Uh, it was 77, mm. uh, 1977. There was one big band conductor called Esko Linnavalli. And then, then uh, Jukka-Pekka Saraste and Esa-Pekka Salonen. They were the other guys on, on the same group. And, and I think that's, that's quite funny to think about, <clears throat> think about uh, how, how we started together. Yeah. So, yes, Jorma, it's still something which I, I do understand and I don't understand because he doesn't say anything. As you know, if you have been studying with him, he, he might say three words in two minutes. And, and two of them are, are like like cursing in Finnish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know but, one of uh, those words very well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but with it, is, it is, there is something which is really difficult to describe. There is something which creates this kind of, of atmosphere that, that you have to try, try harder. And basically, he just, the main thing is that, that why are you waving your hands so much? Mm. Less, do less. 
staccato, legato. Those kind of things are uh, other things he is screaming. Oh, he was screaming at them. I think that it's still the same. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, so, but it's, I, I think there is something why people would like to, to, to come and see him. And then if they have a chance to be in the same room with, with, with Panula, then things are happening, even if I don't understand it. And I know that there are many other, other conductors who have the same feeling that, that, that there is something. Yeah. <laughs> we, we just enjoy about that. And sometimes we are like big question marks. What did he mean when he said those three words? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that um, in the time that I was there, you know, I, I learned just as much by watching him give two words and one of them a swear word to another conductor than I maybe did with myself. As you say, he's a man of very few words, but often it can, he can say it all with a look. But mm. I, I often thought then that what he was doing was getting rid of all of the outside things and just making me conduct clearer. As you say, give the correct message to the musicians and they'll play legato. Why are you screaming at them to play quieter when you're giving a massive big beat? As you say, you know, beat smaller. Um, the only question that I've, I've had, and I, I asked this question to Zachary Oromo personally once in Birmingham. Uh, I remember Yorma saying to us, why have one baton when I have 10 batons? Because he never uses a baton. You use a mm -hmm. baton. And, and a lot of those people, you know, Esapeki uses a baton, Zachary. I, I can't think of any that don't use a baton. I wonder why that would be. Do you have a feeling on why that might be, that you all ended up using a baton when Yorma doesn't use one? Well, I think that, that it's, it's, for me, it's a practical question very much. I have heard often from the players uh, in the orchestra who are not closest to the conductor that they just need to see the baton. The, the first people, the, the first desks of, of the strings are okay, but, but then, then they need something. And, and um, I have played with the Turku Orchestra and, and, and Helsinki Philharmonic when, when Panula conducted. Yeah. And he is very clear, but he has very, very special technique and he can do it because also his hands, he's, he's, he's totally, he's not right-handed conductor. <laughs> Even he's riding with his right hand, but, but he's conducting very much with his left hand and, and you need to have that kind of gift of special hands if you want to do the same as he's he's doing. So my personal compromise is that often I conduct the slow movements without the button. And I think that I, I most of the times I have a better connection to the music when, as you said, your must first, I am using 10 buttons in, instead of one. So how long did you study with Yorma and was there much of a gap between uh, finishing with Yorma, uh, stopping playing the clarinet and winning the Besançon competition? I actually was at the Sibelius Academy uh, only two, two years. Um, he said to me that, that I'm ready to try and ready to, ready to go. I don't know true or not, <laughs> but I still played at the Philharmonic at the same time. So, so I was two more years there 
before I left the orchestra. I, it was a funny thing. I left the Helsinki Philharmonic and then later uh, won the Besançon competition. So, so I think it was a jump to something nowhere, and and uh, and, and and then then the competition obviously helped me to start mm. um, getting more gigs and, and and so on. And as part of winning any competition. Well, actually, funnily enough, I spoke to somebody the other day and they said that there were hardly any engagements as the prize when they won their competition. But hopefully when you won the Besançon in 1982, you had engagements then and managers came knocking on the door. And what was that like, those early days? They, no one knocked my door. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I got maybe two something in France one or two gigs there and, and then one in, in Brussels, Belgium. Mm. But it, it wasn't any kind of, of big moment in my life. So it, it, everything in my life has, uh, conducting life has happened very, very slowly. And um, I think that I'm, I, it was hard sometimes to see that, that other guys are doing more things than I was doing. But, but I, I think that on the long run, it was better I, better for me to have time to learn things and, and to, to be ready <coughs> ready those challenges, which I feel that I wasn't ready finally when, when, when they started to happen. But, but it was slow and, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, okay with that. Well, here, here, because mine has also been fairly slow, but it's grown and grown. And, and I think you're... I personally am so happy that I did 22 years as a player in in, uh, in an orchestra, and you did 10. And I think that possibly gives us a, a, a helping start with how to work with orchestras. But I'm glad it's gone slowly. Yeah, it's. I think that <clears throat> I was co-principal clarinet with the Helsinki Philharmonic, and, and we had good collection of the conductors. And so I was paid to study my my conducting as I played the clarinet there. So, so the many, many, many uh, great names uh, I have seen there and and I'm sure that that was the other part of the school. Everything I, I learned, learned uh, playing there. And then actually I, I conducted, I think twice Helsinki Philharmonic so that, so that someone was ill and uh, they didn't get the cancellation very early and then they said that hey come on someone said uh, there was an italian conductor carlo cecchi whose cancellation was done on the same day when we had the first rehearsal so <laughs> so i just i just uh, got a uh, question could you start tomorrow morning rehearsals and here are the scores <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so yeah but as i said for me it's it, it's, it has been really important place to learn something about the conducting. And, and I, I, I know that there are conductors who have never played in the orchestra, but I mean, their instrument was piano or, or something like that. And, and for me, it's like a miracle if anyone can be a conductor without being there, because it's, it's like a kindergarten, it's a known language what the orchestras are speaking and feeling and and uh, so I, I think that's more natural way to come f from 
the orchestra to be in, in, in front. Looking ahead into your career, you spent 20 years as chief conductor uh, of the Lati Symphony Orchestra. By the time you finish in 2022, you will have done uh, 19 years with the Minnesota Orchestra. And so, you know, you obviously like being in jobs a long time. And during all of those years as a chief conductor, how did you like the process of hiring players, um, also possibly firing players? I know in Minnesota there was this famous uh, dispute between managers and players. How did you find it um, as a boss in, in those two jobs? Because they're vastly different, I would think, between one in Finland and one in America. Yeah, yes and no. <laughs> I think that to, 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 to be a, a, a chief conductor or music director, basically it's very much the same job. Then there are some, some uh, fine-tunings uh, between different systems, like when you have, the, if I'm thinking my, my years in Lahti, 20 years, uh, <clears throat> the city council or the Council of Cultural Affairs of, of the city of Lahti. That was the that was the link for the city. And then, then within with an American orchestra there is a board and uh, you have to you have to um, do your job yeah. with those instances. But but the main job in front of the orchestra is and planning it's it's very much the same, I have to say. And Lahti was my big, big, big school. Uh, learning so many things and, and also we got great opportunities, great chances when BIS, the Swedish label, needed, uh, needed an orchestra to continue the Sibelius uh, project when Neme Järvi and, and Gothenburg, uh, um, who started that project, they, they got the Deutsche Grammophone deal and, and then didn't contact, continue with this. So, so or, original violin concertos, original fifth symphony by Sibelius, original N saga. Mm. Then, as you said, 20 years in Lahti and, and, and our contract goes to 22, so it means 19 years in there. I think that, that I am a guy, as I said earlier, it's like a slow cooking. <laughs> If the if the players don't get too pissed off with me, then 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 we can learn something together, and 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 then there is a chance to make music. I know there are people who are doing two or three years, and then it's done. Mm. And I'm happy that I have had I have had orchestras which which have been willing to do to do longer time for me, and and uh, I think that that it gets better if the people are not too tired mm. with each other. <laughs> well, I, the other thing that I, I watched a short YouTube video you did, and one thing you said that, uh, I, I, and I think spending a long time with an orchestra helps this, is that you say that you just think orchestras sound better when they play together. And sometimes that takes time. Um, but do you think that's something that you really hone in on when you start with a new orchestra? Say you're starting as music director in Seoul, or, or you have already started. That takes time, doesn't it? Yeah, it takes time. And, and I think that there are many different characters with the orchestra, with the conductors. And, and, and thinking about the first guest conducting 
from the orchestra side and from the conductor side. I know that there are there are some conductors like the orchestra is wow, this is wow, wow, great week, great week mm. on the first time. And then the second week, second time, whenever the second uh, visit is, it's not so hot and, and then it gets the other way around. And I I have to say that if if I am lucky, I can survive from the first week. <laughs> and if they if they would like to give me more weeks, then usually it gets better. Mm. It's it's. Uh, I am also a very tiring conductor because I I would like to ensemble to 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 play play well together, and I just cannot keep music in my mind if the ensemble is not good mm. and therefore I, I use a lot of time trying to put people together playing same colors same kind of breathings and, and same kind of rhythmical understanding and, and there are many orchestras who just give up they think that 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 it's too tiring for them and 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 and, uh, and, and maybe I, I cannot give inspiration for them but if we can go over this one one step. I, I think that I have, there are many examples other than Lahtia uh, or, or Minnesota where it happens and then, then the music making gets, gets better and better and, and, and everybody is, is having better time. So there are many, many uh, personalities mm. in, in, in music business as everywhere else. It, yes. I think it's a corporate world. It's the same thing, and and there is there is a chemistry with some conductors with some orchestras, and and then there there is there is non chemistry where people just hate each other with some some uh, the same same guys who are loved by some orchestras they are hated by the others, and that's the blunt reality, and we have to live with that. Well, it's very true. I remember having a conversation with somebody, a, a dear friend who's no, no longer with us, who had played in the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra, and I was in the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, and we went through 20 names on a train journey in, on tour many years ago, 20 different conductors' names, and almost to a man, whoever we loved in Birmingham, they hated in Bournemouth, and the opposite. Um, yep. It's uh, Yeah, and, and it is true. The other thing that you've just made me think about is maybe it's because because I've, I'm like you. I like my orchestras to play together, firstly, before I do anything else. Maybe it's because we were in an orchestra, and I don't know any orchestra in the world who doesn't want to play together. That Maybe it's because we played in orchestras that we are so obsessed about ensemble. Do you think that might be true? I mean, I, I remember playing in the orchestra thinking, but it's just not together. Why aren't you fixing it? Why are you not getting it together? Mm. And I, maybe it's that, do yeah. you think? It could be. And then there are like different different times in every orchestra's life. So if they have had um, some someone who is like a schoolmaster for years, then they are having great time with someone who doesn't rehearse anything. Mm. And 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 if they have had a wild wild uh, person without rehearsing, then they would like to have next time someone who is doing it. So <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends. People would like to have something different and, and uh, do we like it or not? But that's, the, that's how it happens. It's very true. Very true indeed.
Um, I'm going to go back to Biss, and you did a lot of, well, not only with Biss, but also with Hyperion, you've done a lot of recording. In fact, you are a Grammy Award-winning conductor. Um, but you, you recorded with Lati, with the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra, and with Minnesota. What is it about conducting that you like? Um, and um, is it something that you feel that you, you have to do all the way through your career, recording? Because some conductors don't like recording. Yeah. Oh, that is also, <laughs> that's also a question. Uh, do you think that I have planned all those recordings which I have done? <laughs> the answer is no. No, no. I have been lucky that I have been asked, oh, we, we want you to, to do this, this, this recording project. Are you, are you willing to do it? And then I said, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like guest conducting. We conductors, we cannot invite ourselves to conduct any orchestra. So it is nothing to do what we want to do. But if there is a chance, then, uh, then, then we have to think about, is this good for me or not? But I, I would like to say that if, if Bissi is asking, do I want to do the Sibelius cycle for them with Lahti Orchestra, uh, for some reason I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and when, when Bis wanted to do the second time Sibelius cycle with the Minnesota Orchestra, I said, why? We just, I have done one. And they said that Osmo, by the way, when we start to do the first one, it's over 15 years when you did the last one. So, so, so we are lucky if anyone is asking us to do some big projects uh, or even some small project, because um, I, I think that there are many, many conductors, many artists who haven't had a chance to do any recording of, of in, in their life. So, so I am lucky. I, I think I have done very close to 100 um, uh, CDs for BIS. Mm. And, and that is one big part of my life as a conductor. Um, you asked earlier about how is it uh, to start with the New Orchestra. And, uh, and right now it's happening with the Sophie Harmonic. And I already have uh, I'm happy to tell you that we are going to record for BIS. <laughs> it's not public information yet, but, uh, but uh, so, so what I want to say is that if you are able to record uh, with, with a great producer, then that's the best masterclass for the orchestra. Mm. And, and my, my person at BIS is uh, Rob Saf who is a really, really great friend, who is a great musical genius. He hears everything. He knows how to get all the, all the musical things there. And he respects my ideas about the music. It's, I have never had this typical fight, which I have heard often about how the producer is trying to be a conductor and, and, and and, and then, then the conductor and orchestra, it, it goes to the worst situation. So has never happened um, uh, for me with, with Rob Saf and I'm, I'm really grateful for all the support, all the help, as he has understood so well what I want to do in music and, and, and has been able to collect that. So, so if any orchestra can do 
recording session with Rob Schaff. That is like the best masterclass for everybody. So I can tell you that when I did the first recording uh, with the Minnesota Orchestra for Biz and Rob Schaff was a producer, the orchestra asked, could we get him as a, as a guest conductor as soon as possible? What <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. And, and, and Rob knows this comment and was, was very happy to hear it. So <laughs> I, 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 I cannot point out um, enough how, how uh, great collaboration I have had with him and, and, and the whole BIS company. Um, I have a question based on what you've just talked about, which is, if you recorded all of the Sibelius symphonies with Lati and then you recorded them with Minnesota, obviously the sound of the orchestra will be different. But between the, the 15 year gap between the two, did your, your interpretation change massively between the two sets of recordings? No, I think that the same plan is there, but, but uh, when I get older, my understanding about life about everything included to life is different than mm. it was when I was younger. So, so like the same tempos, the same idea about the characters, but when I'm getting older, the music is changing too. Mm. And, and a good so, very good so, because, because if I'm thinking myself 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I hope that today I'm not the same guy. Mm. Hello, have you gone? Hello, I'm, I am still here. All right, <laughs> I missed you. I, I, I just said my my finish <laughs> ending for the sentence. I said what I what I said, and uh, as your mom, yeah, I have nothing to add to that. Yeah, I've spent. I, uh, it's been a long time since I've spoken to a Finnish person, but I had many conversations with Zachary Oromo, and yeah, you you sit there. You know, obviously, if it's live, I know you finish, but I'm doing it with my ears. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Osmo. <laughs> Very no, no, lucky you. You haven't <laughs> spoken with Finnish. <laughs> Um, the next question sort of leads on from that. You know, as we get older, as you say, you, your understanding of life changes. Um, I wanted to talk to you about mentoring your assistant conductors in Minnesota, because I happened to speak to Roderick Cox for one of my podcasts, um, and he was with you at Minnesota and uh, wanted to be remembered to you. What do you think your role is when it comes to assistant conductors um, you know, do, do you feel that you have to teach them or just give them advice or how do you use your assistant conductors in Minnesota? Well, that is the American way. I think that all, all top American orchestras, they always have associate or assistant conductors sitting there giving comments and also that their job is to, to prepare the score so that if something happens, to the real conductor, if you want to say that way, then they have to be able to jump in and do the do the programs. There is no way to cancel concerts. So I think that I would like to uh, speak to them the same way as I, I wish they are speaking to me. Hmm. Um, I always ask comments. Uh, and, and the problem is that the assistant conductor, associate conductor, they are always trying to be very friendly and, and they are very friendly and they don't give anything, anything critical. Uh, 
they just the typical thing is that that um, I cannot hear the solo is there and there and that's a question mm. about the balance. But but <clears throat> I ask them to ask particularly critical critical questions because how do I how do I get better? How do I have a chance to rethink something if if people are just saying, "Oh, it sounds wonderful, maestro." First mm. of all, I don't I don't want them to call me maestro. I am Osmo for them, and I want to think about if there is anything I can learn from them. Mm. And so that goes the opposite way too. So when I am, of, of course, I don't have so often a chance to see their conducting. It when usually I'm away when they are when the assistants are, are, are conducted, but then I can see some videos. I try to go to the rehearsals when I am there and I try to give feedback the same way. And uh, I think that that is part of this kind of old um, old uh, system in, in, in music, which goes all the musicians, all the instrumentalists are helping the younger ones, all the conductors are helping the younger ones and, and that how it should go. So I try to tell what I see and I try to tell them that you need to do the, the pickup beat so that it is in the, in the same same tempo as you want to go to the next uh, tempo. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's more about the mechanical things. I, <clears throat> I, I don't think that I need to say um, too many comments about musical interpretations because we all have our opinions those but but as a conductor we need to do our technical um, technical uh, work um, to, to make the orchestra able to play mm. and and every time I have a chance to, to see something and I have something in my mind I, I, I would like to sell it and I would like to hear the same thing if they can see something about my conducting because that's just our, I think that we all have a little bit too nice self picture about ourselves <laughs> than, than, than if, 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 if you ask from the, from, from the players. Well, okay, this is a very private information. You know that, that Erin Keefe, uh, concert master of the Minister Augusta, is my wife. Yes, yes. And I can tell you that happens often after five hour rehearsals when we go home. Erin said that, by the way, I haven't seen the second beat during the whole day. <laughs> and <laughs> that is, sometimes it's hard, but that is what I need. Mm. It's, it's just, of course, I think that, that my beating is really great that everybody can understand that and, and, and I'm showing everything, but, but it's not so. It's not so. We all have like a very nice picture about ourselves, which might not be the truth. And then it's nice to have someone so close as the concert master, in my case, is, and then who is giving me feedback. Um, and and uh, as I said, sometimes it's hard, but that is the best way to to try to make things better. When you have a new score, Osmo, uh, how do you learn it? Um, uh, when I worked 
uh, when I studied with Panola for two weeks, he, he said conductors should write very little in their scores, definitely not use colours. Um, well, I write a lot in my scores and I use lots of colours. Do you write in your scores uh, to help the learning process? How do you go about it? Yeah, I mean, I try to study my scores now, <laughs> yeah. much more than, 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 than a long time ago. There are some opinions is uh, study your scores, never listen to music so that you don't lose your own interpretation. I think that and that is bullshit. Mm. It's it's if you if you try to learn something really big, let's let's say Mahler Symphony, mm. you should be a super great pianist if you are going to going to find everything on the score with your own piano playing skills, which actually I am a terrible pianist. I need to 35 seconds to make every harmonic changes <laughs> on my fingers, so it doesn't work for me. So, read the score, try to understand what is there, and then I would say, and this is coming from last 10 years, as many recordings as you can. Mm. And in my case, no one has told me that I, I don't have my own will about how I want the music to go. So. Uh, so I, I think that that I have learned finally that that more more you know about the music you are conducting, and the more you know about that comes often if if you have a chance to 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 hear ten different recordings, ten different conductors, ten different orchestras, even better if you have twenty five recordings, different conductors, because every time you listen something. It's one layer in your mind. Mm. One layer more, one layer more. And then I think that finally, I feel that I'm in the point when I can do all my uh, like decisions about what I want. It's based for those layers, which I have there um, after, after listening to the recordings. And if I try to do my decisions, with, if there are no layers, it's very dangerous. It's mm. very, very dangerous because, because um, then I am almost like standing on empty space. So you have to read. I have to, I have to read, I have to write down things. Yeah. Um, and uh, to, help, to help connect the things. Of course, the tempo is the most important thing, at least for me. Uh, I might not be alone with 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 that idea. The, the the basic tempo you are you are having with one team, it it has so much influence to the whole music you are doing. And and let's have a Mahler symphony <laughs> where where everything is connected and and those changes. There are million details with with tempo changes and so on. Mm. Yes, right now whatever helps you to do better job. Use all the things you can find. I'm speaking about myself. I am, that's what I am doing. And, <laughs> and I don't care whatever anyone else is saying about that. But, but anything which helps to understand how it's written and, 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 and how the score is put together, anything which helps you is welcome. Osmo, it is 10 questions time. So I will start with, what 
sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate? I love the sound of the sea. Mm. And I hate uh, a snowmobile in the woods, especially when I'm doing my cross-country skiing, enjoying the, the, the quiet, beautiful view and a quiet place in, in, uh, in, the, in the woods. And then some snowmobile are making those terrible noises. And then they leave also the smell of gasoline there. And, and that drives me crazy. Brilliant answer. Nobody said that. <laughs> Can't, nobody's mentioned cross-country skiing. Uh, I know the next question, we've had a lot of time free, but it's basically if you were busy working and you had a whole day off, if you had 24 hours free, what would you spend it doing? Okay, I, I thought about that and I have, a, a, I have a list which I would like to share with you. Mm. I would like to start with peaceful breakfast, oatmeal with blueberries and very strong coffee. Then I would like to do some exercise. It could be skiing, as I said, cross-country skiing. It could be elliptical, but something which gives me a feeling that I have done something, something for myself, for my body. Uh, then yoga for stretching. And then my personal thing is playing the clarinet. Hmm. Because I still play. I play concerts and and that is always I have a time to play the clarinet. It's like luxury life for me. Then, of course, sauna and, uh, and dinner by my chef, Erin, who is actually a great, great, great chef. Some uh, TV series at, at this moment, it's Dublin Murders. <laughs> if, you know the, if you know the program. It's brilliant. Mm. And then uh, I think that a uh, um, uh, little bit of single malt uh, before going to sleep, that might be a great, great day. That sounds like a great day. Uh, I would have lost a bet because I would have thought at some point, uh, having done my homework on you, that you might have gone for a motorbike ride. <laughs> that is yes <laughs> absolutely i didn't i didn't write it down on my list motorbike is one of those happens too seldom but mm. it is a great feeling yeah happy happy to add that on that on that day too <laughs> uh next question you can have more than one um or you can just stick to one who would be a favorite conductor of yesteryear i would like to give you two names pavo berklund and Toscanini. Uh, and I would like to add that I played for Pavo Berglund and I loved working for him. A real character, but um, yes. what a great musician. He, he really was. I, th th it's a long list about the things I have learned from him. And actually, I was in Bournemouth like two weeks once. He, he didn't want to, Pavo didn't want to teach. Mm. But when I asked about that, he said that you can come to some place where I'm conducting. And then, then, then he said that it's okay if you come to Walmart. So I heard the rehearsals and then, then um, as they usually do three, four times, the, the program outside of, of, of Walmart. And that was a big, big thing. And <laughs> it's not the only thing with, with, with Pavo because he was the... Chief conductor of the Helsinki Philharmonic when I got my job there. So I have played also many, many concerts 
he was a great, great, great musician and 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 in a positive way a conductor without compromises. And I think that Tos Toscanini might be. I of course I have never met Toscanini, but when I'm listening the stories about him and and and, and his recordings, I think that he was a, he was a great conductor without compromises too. And who would be a favorite current conductor? I I would like to say that that Haitink. Haitink is I know that he has um, stopped conducting career, but but uh, there are many 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 concerts I have seen him conducting and then recordings too. Great great conductor and and if I may, Maris Janssons, even he passed away, but but it happened just a few. Uh, not not so long time ago, absolutely brilliant conductor. What is the hardest work you have ever conducted? I I am thinking some Bruckner late symphonies, mm. or or Mahler. Let's say Mahler seven. Someone might feel surprised about this, but but they are also technically, but but most of all emotionally and and and. To, to find a long line, which mm. is keeping the music alive. And, and, and especially in Mahler's case, there are so many things happening at the same time and, mm. and connected to each other. And, and then thinking about Mahler, how <laughs> there, there are instructions almost in every bar, mm. how to do it and, and, and don't start to accelerate Actually, under here it should start two bars later, and 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 then put that together with the, with the fact that that he he wasn't only a composer, mm. he was he was one of the greatest com conductors at his time. So I think that I always hats off in front of of Mahler. He he knew both sides. So I I always think. That, that as a conductor, my job is not try to find a great interpretation of a piece. My greatest job is try to find out the composer's uh, inspiration uh, about that music. Mm. So, so I, I have said sometimes that what, what do the painters said if, if, if there is someone like super nerd uh, <clears throat> painting specialist who said that well, Van Gogh is good but you have to add instead of green you have to put some blue there and some red there so that's sometimes I feel feel about the conductors when we want to go out from the from the score and do our own interpretations so I am and the luckiest conductor in the world if I can find something which the composer wanted to give us with the music. And, and that makes my uh, answer about what is the most uh, complicated music um, to, to do. That's why I go to Mahler and Bruckner. That's a brilliant answer. Um, uh, you mentioned Mahler 7, you know, the last movement of Mahler 7 is one of the hardest. You, you're talking about tempi, you know, those tempo mm. changes. It's so sudden, it's so, it's almost like there are three people telling the the same story all at once, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's absolutely well said. 
When traveling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without? That's very easy for me. It's my clarinet. Ah, and you still take it everywhere with you? Yes, hmm. I try to try to play every day. So, so playing chamber music, and and it's it gives me so much something different. It's like uh, conducting is great thing to do, but but if I can play the clarinet well enough, that is a great great uh, way to do in music too. I just played in in Korea in one concert, Mozart Quintet and Brahms Quintet. With the with the quartet of soul philharmonic, um, I, nothing is wrong with those pieces. No, no, no. <laughs> I I think that we we clarinet players are super lucky. Thinking mm. about the repertoire. What is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? I really would like to change the beginning of my conducting career. Let's say let's say. I would like to change the first 35 years. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> sadly, sadly true. Yes, I I think that I am. I have seen during last 10 years a lot of things which I hope I could have done differently. Well, wow, it's a wonderful answer and a very, a very open and honest answer as well. I love it. Brilliant mm. answer. Thanks. Um, number nine. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, maybe a photographer or or a race car driver. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant answers. Uh, and the final one, and, and you've said that Erin's a wonderful cook, but it could, you could take Erin yeah. out for a meal. It can be anything you want. If the world were to end tonight, what would be your choice of final meal and drink? This is, you know, this is an impossible question because it's in, impossible to say one, one, one uh, particular food. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to, to have my last meal when when Erin has been a chef <laughs> that's one one possibility or then we have to go to the uh well the temptation is japan korean which i love but i think finally it goes to the italian cuisine some uh pasta with with uh, italian red wine absolutely italian like barolo or Montalcino, Montepontiano, there are so many great Italian red wines. And then uh, some special single malt. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I do love a single malt. Osmo, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you for the last hour. Um, stay safe, stay well, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for, for all, the, all the great questions. Stay safe. <laughs> Will do. A Mic on the Podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next week is a very special episode as the podcast reaches episode 50. To mark this milestone, I will be chatting to a British conductor who has already appeared on the podcast. Until then, bye-bye. <laughs>